the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. My name is Chip DeBlock, and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about today's news and issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective, and we're broadcasting live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the crew. Guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show, we have Sergeant Joe Rollerson from a city that whose name I cannot even pronounce is in a very hidden special place in, in the state of Florida. So, in fact, Joe doesn't even like to tell people about where he's at because he doesn't want more people moving there. So, anyhow, thanks for being on the show, Joe. Also, Deputy Frank Slope from Pinal County, Arizona. You probably recognize him from Fridays with Frank. Yes, they're tearing up YouTube. At least somebody's still surviving on YouTube. I know we're not. Uh, so thanks for being on the show, guys. A shout out to our sponsors, Motion DSP, Gauls, Gunlearn.com, MyMedicare.Live. We're fueled by Bang Energy. Matter of fact, today, what am I drinking? We've got the Rainbow Unicorn. Great flavor. Thanks, Bang, for the uh, for the fuel. Appreciate it. Also, shout out to Brian Burns for the free press for current content. A huge shout out, Ray Dietrich, Red Voice Media, redvoicemedia.com. If you haven't checked out their news outlet, do it today. We're streaming to eight locations right now. And no, YouTube is not one of them. Uh, but yeah, eight locations, three of those belong to Red Voice Media. And those three Facebook pages alone are about one million followers. Yeah, huge. So thanks, uh, Ray Dietrich and Red Voice Media, for the opportunity. Guys, we got a great uh, a great show. I know I always say that, but we really do. Some uh, great content. You know, our our first story, you know, before we talk about this whole DNA thing, you know, let's just mention the uh, the elephant in the room. You know, I turn on the news today. Now, I, it was uh, it was Fox News, actually. So I know a lot of people don't listen to, like, Newsmax and Fox News. It was either Fox or Newsmax, but uh, Hunter Biden got arrested today. So there's, or, or I don't know if he's technically been, you know, you know, charged yet or not, but no, you say no, Frank, but uh, you can go and open up your mics, but uh, you may have more information on this than I do, but I was told that, or from what I understand, it's like tax, uh, uh, two misdemeanors involving tax and firearms. I, I, what kind of a firearm charge can possibly be a misdemeanor? I don't know. Frank? It's a, it was um, possession of a firearm as a drug user is what that, what that charge was. Uh, and then the other one was, was related to taxes. All right. Interesting. And then I heard that the attorney, uh, Hunter's attorney, was under the impression that they're not going to be looking at him for anything else. Uh, I, I think he's under the impression the whole bribe thing that's going on right now with the $10 million that that's, you know, not going to be looked at. But there's some debate, I understand, going back and forth on that. So we'll see. So, uh, um, so yeah, I'm, look, I'm, I'm surprised he was charged. I'm not surprised it's only misdemeanors. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll. Anything further coming down the pike on that? We'll let this you know. is just no. some, this is just something to say. Hey, look, we we're not being biased against Trump. We're uh, we're going to bring some charges against the president's son, but they're they're misdemeanor, like you said. I have no idea what kind of gun charge could be a misdemeanor and tax <laughs> evasion, tax evasion as well. I mean, well. Uh, but they're they're doing as little as they can just to make you feel good and say, see, we we've, we've done something. Uh, we're not we're not politicizing the whole uh, system here. Yeah, well, Joe, you act like it took them a long time to even come up with two misdemeanor charges. I mean, what? How long was the investigation has been going on for? What two weeks now? What two months? Maybe how long? <laughs> About five years, Wayne. Five Something years. Like yes, you are correct, Joe. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Before I get started, wow. I, I want to say a big shout out to my good buddy Danny Hernandez, who's watching the show today. He's the my favorite Cuban. <laughs> Well, wow, you know, so that's the same Daniel, Daniel Hernandez, who I saw signed on into our streamers. He was right. making comment or, okay, that's the same right. guy. Wow. Great, great guy. Great guy. Hi, Danny. Good to hear from you today. All right. Good deal. Well, guys, starting off on police one, we have a DNA drive day. So DNA drive day. 
Now listen to this and listen to the spoiler on this. So to aid, well, the title of the article is DNA Drive Day to Aid Police Postponed Over ACLU Objections. So this is uh, by the Associated Press. It's in Newton, Massachusetts. So the public collection of DNA samples to help law enforcement solve crimes and to identify human remains. It's actually been postponed. This happened on Saturday after the objections from the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. So Middlesex District Attorney uh, Marion Ryan uh, is going to give us some more information about this in a statement saying that she postponed DNA Drive Day because of concerns raised by the local branch of the ACLU as well as inclement weather now, it was billed as the first such event in Massachusetts. They take people who are willing to voluntarily submit their DNA samples, and this aids law enforcement investigators. Now, DNA samples provided to genealogy databases, they have already helped law enforcement solve cold cases and resolve missing persons cases, and that just makes common sense, right? So Saturday's outdoor event at Newton City Hall would have allowed people to provide a sample to Family Tree DNA and the DNA submissions would be uploaded for free, free of charge to a pair of genealogy genealogy databases. So that's Family Tree DNA and also GED Match. And the data would then, at that point, help investigators. So it's all voluntary, and they put an axe to it. So it's amazing the ACLU stepped in. And these are people not being forced to submit DNA. It's just that they're willingly, voluntarily doing it. Of course, you could branch out. You know, a relative gives DNA sample, and it could may, maybe getting traced close to you and your family tree, but it's just amazing. Uh, commentary, Deputy Frank. Um, has the ACLU ever done anything good? Let's That's a good start point. There. They, are, they are just, this can only help the families um, to, to get closure in cases that are cold cases. And the fact that they stepped in to prevent these families from, from getting some, some possible closure that they've maybe needed for for months or years or decades is uh, it just there's no logical reason to it except that the police are doing it it's a good idea so we should immediately stop it 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 just it's there's nothing there's nothing good that comes when the ACLU gets involved in anything interesting well joe can they even i mean are you surprised they even have the right to stop it when people are doing this voluntarily well if it's a voluntary uh, program uh, they can come and complain all they want. They probably protest or you know do whatever they want. But if I want to donate my DNA, that's my business. It's none of theirs. Um, how many crimes have, have we seen over the last 10, 15 years that have been solved through DNA, through connecting, through relatives, like through, like you said, these DNA websites or these DNA companies? Uh, it, it's just amazing how uh, they get DNA at a scene. And uh, next thing they know, uh, they run it through one of these genealogy uh, companies and it comes back hitting on a, a brother or a cousin. And then that narrows the field down for law enforcement. This can only be good as a law enforcement tool. It's not infringing on anyone's rights. They're not forcing them. This can only be a positive thing for law enforcement in the community to solve cold crimes. I mean, why not use it? It's a great tool. We use fingerprints. Uh, they were a great thing back in the day, but DNA is the thing today. Yeah, Joe, I was going to say that I understand it's public opinion that you've made a lot of DNA donations and deposits over the years yourself. So, I mean, I didn't know we had an expert on the show on that. But, uh, yeah, look at Frank. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, you're too funny. <laughs> uh, but, again, this is this is totally voluntary. 
this is, I mean, this is, you know, it's not the police going door to door saying, Hey, I need a buccal swab. This is, this is people saying, Hey, I, I want help for my family. I am, this is totally voluntary. And the ACLU is standing and saying, no, you don't have the right to volunteer. Well, I are they going, I feel like I mean, this is easy. When you give your DNA to one of these uh, DNA companies, are they going to come in and complain about that? Because I'm a perfect example. I was adopted, never knew my father. And three years ago, I, I found my real father. He's 90 years old, never knew him. And are they going to come in and say that was illegal or I shouldn't have done that? Um, I mean, this is, this is great, great material. And, but like you said, Frank, what is ever, what is the ACL? What have they ever done other than complain, especially when it involves law enforcement, they're going to come in and scream and yell every time. So, so this centers around, it says Middlesex district attorney, uh, Marion Ryan said that she postponed the DNA drive day in part because of the ACLU concern. So I'm wondering if she's just not willing to fight the fight. In other words, she made a conscious effort to actually postpone it. It was her decision, um, despite claims. But I suspect that with voluntary status of the citizens stepping in that want to do this, that there's nothing the ACLU could do because people aren't being forced to do it. Uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I, when I read an article like this, I'm kind of disappointed in the district attorney taking that stance, but I could be wrong on this, but that's just my initial thinking on it. Frank. It's, it's also Massachusetts. So yeah. you're not, you're not in a, you know, you're not in a, a red state. Um, you're not somewhere that's, that's super overtly pro law enforcement to begin with, just based on, on the, uh, on the political philosophies of the state. So that, that has, that absolutely comes into account also in this, that this would not happen in Florida. This wouldn't happen in Florida. Um, but the ACLU might be able to make that and get an ear that'll listen to it um, up there in the Northeast. All right. All right. I think you're, I think you may be on with something. And yeah, people listen to the show. You know, we've got a bunch of streamers on right now. We're streaming the eight locations. Look, if you guys want to find out how best to watch the show, just simply go to their website, leoroundtable.com. And we've got a, a syndication tab up there and it tells you where to watch the show live delayed. And of course, uh, our presence on YouTube has changed because they've, uh, they wanted to cancel us. So that's fine. We'll keep the channel. Uh, we'll keep the channel up. We've got over ten thousand subscribers, and we're going to use YouTube to promote our other channels, like you know, Rumble, our Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and all the other outlets that we're on. So, um, a good commentary, guys. Thanks. Um, let's go ahead and move on to our next one, then, and then we're going to eventually get to a story that's got a video component. But uh, this next one, it's on PoliceTribune.com. We have a Virginia cop murdered during a fight for his gun. I have two unfortunate stories like this. And look, every once in a while, you know, there's no video component to this at all. There may be video aspects to come out later, you know, down the road on this. But I just kind of want to let you guys know, our law enforcement guys know what's going on. Now, I've only got, I've got less than a minute. So I'm not going to be able to get through both of these, but uh, we'll be, we'll have a commercial break in the middle. But let me get this thing going. So we're at Wintergreen, Virginia. So Wintergreen police officer is murdered in the line of duty while fighting with a violent suspect who allegedly assaulted two men at a residence on Friday night. So this starts at a home. It's 10 o'clock p.m. in the evening, June the 16th, according to the WTVR. So according to the Virginia State Police, the Wintergreen police, they respond to the residence after receiving an emergency call about a guy who allegedly assaulted two other men who he lived with at the home. Now, I'm just wetting your appetite here. It's about to get very, very interesting. Stick with us. Commercial break. We'll be right back. All right. Motion DSP, they've been supporting the law enforcement profession for over 15 years with a robust suite of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. 
The Motion DSP software, easy to use, requires no specialized training or expertise, and you can save valuable time with Spotlight's one-click automating tracking feature and forensic suite of enhancement filters to, re- to achieve a, a quickly, results quickly in just three steps. That's import, process, and export. Now, Spotlight is built specifically for redaction. It works with video from any camera source, and using Motion DSP's algorithms and object tracking technology, it automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information that saves users countless hours compared to manual frame-by-frame redaction and forensic enhancement software that allows users to quickly uh, process and analyze any video file format using patented super-resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to reveal an unseen level of detail, and you can actually get forensically valid evidence from low-quality video in just minutes instead of hours. So simply learn about all these products by going to motiondsp.com. You'll be glad that you did. Okay, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We are still live at the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. You know, we left off talking about a Virginia cop who was murdered during a fight for his gun. This happened very recently. And we have two, uh, uh, two, two bad stories, really, for law enforcement. So and this first one, it's the uh, Wintergreen police officer, but it's being released by the Virginia State Police. And so this Wintergreen cop responds to a resident. There's an emergency call about a man who allegedly assaulted two other men who he's living with at the home. So after calling the police, the two injured males, they flee the residence on Foot. And this is what the agency says. So uh, Wintergreen Police Department Officer Mark Christopher, uh, Chris Wagner, and uh, so it's I guess it's Officer Mark Christopher Wagner. He goes by Chris. He's the first guy to get at the house, according to the WVIR. So the 31-year-old officer ultimately locates our suspect, who's only 23 years old. His name is Daniel Barmick. And he's in a wooded area near the residence. And the officer gets into a physical altercation with our bad guy. And then a struggle for the officer's gun ensues. So during the course of the struggle over Wagner's department-issued handgun, our bad guy shoots and kills the officer, but the bad guy was also shot during the encounter. So the officer succumbed to his wounds, unfortunately, at the scene. Uh, Barmack, our bad guy, was taken into custody by Nelson County deputies and by uh, the local officers as well. He was transported with non-life-threatening uh, injuries as were the two 23-year-olds males that he allegedly assaulted as well. So, horrible story, followed up by a Pennsylvania state trooper murdered and a second trooper in critical condition. So, uh, this happened, uh, of course, Pennsylvania. The trooper was murdered, second trooper wounded in two separate attacks by the same gunman that happened on Saturday. So, the incident started about 11 o'clock in the morning on June 17th. We have a 38-year-old, Brandon Stein. He shows up at the uh, PSP Troop G station in Lewistown, and allegedly opened fire on multiple patrol vehicles using a high-caliber rifle, according to the WHP. Stein, our bad guy, then flees the scene. So then at 12.45 p.m., so remember, it's about almost two hours later, the suspect allegedly shoots a 45-year-old lieutenant named James Wagner in Mifflintown uh, Borough, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. So witnesses used the radio for the wounded lieutenant's patrol car to get help after the lieutenant was gunned down. And then the lieutenant was listed in critical condition on Sunday. So police locate our bad guy Stein near a rural shopping plaza in Walker's uh, Township shortly before 3 o'clock p.m. And the police ultimately, they surround this violent guy in a parking lot of a restaurant. And during the shootout, because there was a heck of a shootout, uh, Stein, our bad guy, shoots a 29-year-old trooper and uh, through the windshield of his patrol car. Wow. And the suspect was fatally shot when police returned fire. So the lieutenant, Bivens, uh, he said the gun site was amazingly intense, described it as a war zone, and they, tr- uh, I guess officials confirmed that Trooper uh, Rogue 
died on Sunday, and the young trooper was just shy of his third year of service uh, with the uh, with the state police. Wow! So two horrible stories, Deputy Frank. Um, well, we'll address the we'll we'll take the first one first. Um, that one in Virginia that that's a that's tough. I mean, that's any any physical altercation. Obviously, it's sounds like it's at night. Um, you know, you're in the dark. You don't really know what's going on. There's there's a better version to do this right. And it's to have a friend with you, um, you know, double doubling up. You know, there's always manpower issues and stuff, but a uh, having a partner there could have probably changed the the outlook of this. Um, it's a I, both of these are are bad, but that second one um, out of um, out of Pennsylvania, I mean, you're looking at you're looking for a guy that wants to kill cops, and um, you know he goes to the station looking for a gunfight and gets into one, um, and isn't isn't taken care of there, but then goes and has the opportunity to kill more cops. Um, that absolutely ended the way that it should have, which is him leaving the scene at room temperature. So. Um, the comment I have to have on the first one is like, uh, like Frank said, it's uh, always great to have a partner, but uh, these are small town police departments, it sounds like, and manpower is at a premium. I'm sure we've had this happen in, in small towns around where, where we used to work, Chip, in Tampa, you'd have a municipality with one cop out there at night by himself answering burglar alarms and, and, and you know, approaching bad guys by themselves. Uh, this, the other thing I'd like to know is what kind of holster are these guys using in these small town police departments? Sometimes they don't have the best equipment. Uh, remember when we came on, we had the stupid holsters. All they had was a little strap on them. I mean, you'd walk, you'd, you'd be walking and the strap would pop off. But then they got a really, really good high tech uh, holster that it was almost impossible for a bad guy to get the gun out of your holster. Level and, three. Yeah. And uh, these these cities need to invest in these types of equipment. And, and that way your weapon cannot be used against you. Because when I trained cops, the first thing I always told them was, there's always a weapon at every call. You got to realize there's always a gun involved and it's yours and it can be taken from you. Uh, the second the second situation there in Pennsylvania, like I've said, training police officers over the years, if they want you, they got you. Uh, this is a this is a guy who was just looking to kill cops. He uh, he was looking to commit suicide, but he figured he's going to take some dudes with him. And it's a tragic event. You can't you can't protect yourself against that at all. But like Frank said, at least the guy went out uh, feet first. And uh, it's unfortunate these police officers died in the line of duty, but people don't realize we lose a police officer about every 48 hours in the United States. Nothing's ever said about that. These guys are out there protecting people, risking their lives, but people want to make them out like the bad guys. But uh, these people are out here to kill us and got to protect yourself the best you can. Thanks guys. Excellent commentary. You know, uh, we have a, um, a a streamer that's posting about the DNA, and I don't know if you saw I put it up, Frank. I don't know. Did you see it? So, yeah, it's George saying that, man, I wish this DNA drive would describe the connection uh, between <laughs> Deputy Frank Slope and David D. Gresta. Wow. And I, as soon as he said it, man, I just thought, man, he is so right. He is so right. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, first time I met Frank, I was like, is that uh, Dave's brother or something? I mean, those well, guys. I think it, if they did DNA, I think David would be out thousands of dollars in in in, belate, in belated child support, is what I'm thinking. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I, I, yeah, I would not advise David to get any kind of DNA genealogy, anything like that in the database. Yeah. For quite a while. So, all right. Hey, it, it, producer Jimmy starting the music already. Is it time for the break already coming up? Yep. Sorry about that. Gee. Okay, guys. Well, look, we got some great stuff. We got, um, Two stories coming up with the video component. We'll describe in great detail what's going on for our Ready On Podcast listeners. Stick with this commercial break. We'll be right back. All right. Well, look, hopefully by now you guys know who Gauls is. I mean, they're the country's leading uniform, clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. And they have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty belts and tactical gear. And as Captain Brett Bartlett always says, they pretty much have everything for law enforcement except for guns and ammo. I mean, so Gauls has been a friend of, of Leo's law enforcement officers uh, across the country. Uh, for a very, very long time, for decades, I I remember when they had those thick catalogs they used to send through the mail, but now they got so many offerings, you know, everything is online now. So, guys, you need to check them out at galls.com slash Leo. Now, the uniform program, my former agency, Joe used to work there too, Tampa Police Department. You know, we had two other uniform companies that simply were not getting the job done. They have a Galls office, uniform office, right on the second floor lobby, and they're killing it. So Galls.com slash Leo, especially if you have an agency looking for someone to be in, in charge of your uniform program and do a jam up job for you, you guys will love them. Galls.com slash Leo. Uh, let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific healthcare needs? The answer is simple. Contact mymedicare.live or call area code 813-245-6656 especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby, meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays, find plans that your doctors accept, and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, mymedicare.live. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're still live at the Boss Talk Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. Guys, any uh, any uh, any commentary before I get into the, uh, the next story with the video component? So if not, okay. So at rumble.com, and look, the uh, the name of the channel uh, that we all know and love is called This Is Butter. I think it's the best law enforcement video channel out there. So we're going to be talking about uh, a video component for this story. Now, look, uh, uh, it's hard to cover a news story today without there being a video component. So, yes, we're ready on podcast. Sisters, we're describing great detail what's going on so you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. We've got Albuquerque police officer shooting a suspect as he pulls a gun from his pocket. So this happens on May the 16th, and a citizen calls 911 around 2 o'clock in the afternoon to report that she saw two males walking into an apartment. One of the guys had a machine gun, she said. him. It wasn't a machine gun, but obviously, uh, you know, she thought it was an officer who was familiar with the people who reside in the apartment and their associations contacted an investigative support detective who positively identified Isaiah Espinosa, who had felony arrest warrants for a homicide and an armed robbery. So ISU detectives, they get there, they start to conduct mobile surveillance. So just in surveillance mode right now, uh, they identify Espinosa and three others getting into a Chevy sedan. They drive through the neighborhood. Sedan arrives at a parking lot at a different apartment complex. The driver backs the vehicle into a parking spot. So Albuquerque police detectives, they watch our bad guy, Espinosa. He gets in and out of the car during a period of about 20 minutes. And now the ISU sergeant decides to initiate contact and they take this guy in the custody. The sergeant drives his unmarked car to the nose of the suspect vehicle. 
while two other detectives, they get there in unmarked, uh, I guess, uh, in an unmarked truck, and they drive up to the passenger side of the vehicle, and they block the suspects from being able to open up either passenger door. So Espinoza and another male, later identified as David Balandado, they get out through the front, uh, I guess, the front and the rear driver's doors, and they decide to run. So officers are positioned west of this location. They're just sitting there waiting for the bad guys to come up on them. Sure enough, they do. They take them into custody. So as the ISU sergeant exits his vehicle, though, the detective on the passenger side of the truck, he sees a third male that's um, still inside the suspect vehicle, and this guy's pointing a firearm in the direction of the sergeant. Detective later told investigators he didn't fire his weapon because he saw there was also a female inside the car with the third male, and uh, this this guy was later identified as Isaac Reyes. So Reyes exits the car. He takes off running, too. Detectives said they saw him pull out a firearm out of his pocket of his shorts while he's running. The sergeant yells, gun, and the detective in the truck discharged his rifle. So he had a rifle on him, smart move, and he strikes our bad guy one time. Reyes is transported to the hospital and treated for his wounds, so he ended up surviving. But it's a, uh, it's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in this, in this scenario, in this video. Sergeant Joe, you want to start us off? Well, let's just start in the beginning. 16 years old. He's already warned for murder. He's got warrants up for his arrest. You'd know this isn't the first time he's ever had a conflict with the police. What happened to the criminal justice system here? Uh, I mean, this is a 16-year-old kid. Um, and he's not a kid now. I mean, he's, 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 he's doing big boy stuff here. And um, I just don't understand what's going on where we got, we got 16-year-olds out here. Where's the parents? Where's the supervision? Uh, but uh, the other situation is, that was a hell of a shot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that guy... He wasn't fooling around. He was under, you know, I mean, but these 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 kids, uh, they're playing the big game and that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to get shot. I don't care if you're 12 years old or you're 22 or you're 52. You pull guns. That's what's going to happen. And um, uh, thank God no one got hurt here. But I'm just shocked at the age of these these criminals today uh, and the crimes that they're committing. The criminal justice system is completely a joke where this kid isn't in jail. Thanks. Deputy Frank, I I absolutely agree, and obviously I'm a I'm a gun guy, so I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the detective, who by the way is wearing shorts um, and gloves, so protecting his hands, legs, that eh, not so much, um, but he's got an LPVO, so a low power variable optic on his rifle. Um, he props up on the door, uh, you know he he knows he's going to make a shot, sees it, takes one single shot. Um, obviously it's the guy that's under control, um, guy who's, who's not in the red and, uh, you know, and, and knows what he needs to do. Know he needs to protect his partners. Um, a great job by everyone. Great job. The Sergeant calling out that, that he had a gun, letting everyone know, Hey, this is, this escalated, this series has now escalated. Um, good, good all around. But I mean, 16 year olds, you know, there's, there's some lack of parenting somewhere, but. A 16-year-old will kill you just as fast as a 22 or a 25 or a 55-year-old will. So uh, the fact that age is age, sex, orientation, whatever, none of that matters. They will kill you all deader than a doornail. So uh, none of that is has any anything to do with this. This is just a bad guy with a gun taken care of with a by a good guy with a gun. And that's how we stop these problems. Yeah, after the first couple of stories we started off with, I'm glad we have one where the good guys win. So, uh, so good deal. You know, uh, moving along, still at Rumble.com and still on This Is Butter, uh, Albuquerque police shoot man as he approaches officers with a makeshift spear.
Now, I will tell you that the video quality in this is superb. It's got really, really great video quality on this. And again, we'll describe in great detail what's going on so that our, our listeners, you know, don't feel like they're missing out on anything. And just so people know how this thing works, you know, our live show, we really, the capability to show you a, a live video or pictures of the good guys, the bad guys during a live show. There's so many things that can go wrong with the live show. Just throwing those extra things in there that could prove to be disaster. It's just not ideal for a live show. So our produced version though, uh, which comes out tomorrow morning at nine o'clock on at rumble.com. That's, uh, that makes for a unique show because you have the same thing you're seeing now, but we embed all the videos and all the pictures of the good guys and bad guys. So any show that we do Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock, that one hour show, 12 o'clock lunchtime, Eastern time, that will come on or be released the very next day, nine o'clock in the morning, Tuesday through Saturday at, at rumble.com. And it'll have all the stuff embedded into it. So, in this particular one, yes, we're still in Albuquerque. So we've got, um, May the 19th, 2023, Three o'clock in the afternoon, a woman calls 911 to report that her brother later identified as 42-year-old David Gaylor, uh, kind of reminds me of Gaylor Falker, right? Uh, informed her that he purchased a rope and was planning to kill himself. So Gaylor tells his sister that she um, that if she arrived at his apartment, that he would kill her as well. So his sister provided his address, and she said that he's diagnosed as having uh, schizoaffective and bipolar disorder. So I've never heard of that uh, schizoaffective uh term before but officers are dispatched to that location one of the officers who's trained in enhanced crisis intervention he speaks with the sister by phone gets more information about the brother so the albuquerque police officer requested a mobile crisis unit there's none available officers attempt to make contact with gaylor at his apartment he refuses to answer the door officers try speaking with him through the closed door and through an open window in the back of the apartment so as they're walking toward the front door for a second time our i'm going to call him our bad guy Gaylor, he opens the door, turns the corner, and he lunges at the closest officer, and he's got a six-foot pole, and he's got a knife taped to the end of it. So the officer draws his handgun as he backs away from Gaylor, and he orders him to drop the makeshift uh, spear. And as Gaylor steps towards the officer, he looks to the side, and he sees two other guys to his right that, that are in a breezeway, kind of like in a breezeway for an apartment. So they look a little bit better to him, I guess, as, as uh, victims than this other dude. So he steps back, I mean, and he goes towards them. So they start backing away, and they draw lethal and less lethal options for this guy. So Gaylor eventually turns his attention. He's advancing on these guys. They tell him to drop his weapon. So one of the officers attempts to utilize his taser, and it says using close-quarter cartridges, and maybe Frank, Debbie Frank can explain those to us. He deploys the taser two times, has no effect. So the first two probes that impacted uh, Gaylor, second deployment, did not have a connection. So and when the tasers deployed, deploy, Gaylor, a bad guy, begins to swipe his spear back and forth, trying to cut the leads to it, according to the article. He continues to advance on the officers with the weapon, and uh, the officers fire their handguns. You actually see one of the officers, he just dumps the taser on the ground, drops it. So our bad guy's really on top of the taser. He's not going for it, but he's right there at his feet when, they, when he gets hit by gunfire from both officers. And, of course, our bad guy... Gaylor ends up dying at the scene. So, wow, a lot going on. Deputy Frank. Um, this guy had a couple extra seconds of life that was given to him from the first officer because he was, that guy was bought and paid for the second he opened up that door and came out with that knife on a stick. Um, <laughs> he was bought and paid for from the first guy. Now, the first guy backs up. He creates distance. He's aware of his area. He knows, hey, this is, gives him commands. Um I mean, all that's, it's good because he, he has, he's creating distance. He's doing everything right. 
the other guys, hey, you have lethal coverage and less lethal coverage. Perfect. Tasers and ineffective. Dump your taser. Go to a better weapon. Um, guy doesn't listen to any of the commands. And again, just like everything else, every other situation that we talk about here every week, if people would just listen to the simple legal commands of law enforcement, they wouldn't get dead. This guy didn't listen to commands, continued to advance on those officers, left at room temperature. Everything went well. Hey, can you explain to us, Deputy Frank, because I, I don't even know the answer. I remember talking about a taser, and I was talking about the old cartridges. You have to swap them, and then you you were really nice and polite about correcting me because tasers have, have changed. But uh, but the, uh, the, the type of cartridge they were talking about, can you got like 10 seconds. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So different cartridges have uh, a different length of wire. Some are 25 feet, some are 40 feet. So if you're too far away, your cartridge isn't, the, the probes are, are going to reach the end of your wire and they're not gotcha. going to make contact. All right, thank you. Commercial break, we'll be right back. All right, guys, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. I mean, we all can't be like Deputy Frank Slope. So look, gunlearn.com, they've taken that confusion and they've uh, made it easy. You know, gunlearn.com is the first and it's the only company to offer a step-by-step -step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist like our panelist, Captain Brett Bartlett. Now, they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy. And their training is approved by major forensic organizations, by law enforcement agencies, and also firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that LEOs, that's law enforcement officers, need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. Now, you can start today with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar. And you can actually get free training for yourself and all the personnel of your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're still live at the Boss Talk Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. Deputy Frank, I have a, I have more questions about for you for the taser. So, um, so with a new look, I know that there's a new generation new generation taser that just came out. It's got a lot uh, longer distance that it's that it's accurate for. Um, but these tasers with the variable deployment on the cartridges is that something you just dial in on the taser itself? Do you have to change a cartridge, or how do you control which one you're going to use? So those are, are the old ones, which are like the ones that, that I carry. I have this on my on my kit right now. Um, these come out. They are interchangeable. So it is actually the cartridge itself that's interchangeable. So you have to um, know in advance. All right. On the back, there's a display, and the display reads if you uh, it reads what kind of cartridge you have. So Got it'll it. read if you have a 25 foot or a 40 foot. But that but it's all in advance. Got it. Now the new one, I believe, is a starts off. I think it goes as as high as 45 feet, if I'm not mistaken, the new taser they just came out with. Um, I don't know. I, it made it sound like everything was internal. I don't know if you're having to do the cartridge swap or not on that one. I, I don't even you know. know. We, don't, we don't have those yet. Um, okay. So that's a, uh, I know we are transitioning to them right now. Our training guys have them. We just don't, we don't have them. So I don't know enough about them sweet. to talk about it. All right, sweet, sweet. Uh, Sergeant Joe. I'd just like to know, I watch these videos every week. I see these uh Scenarios where uh, police officers are deploying their tasers seems like they never work. Um, and I've said this before, I had to get shot with one of those suckers in order to carry it. And buddy, let me tell you, it, it, I went to the ground. Uh, but then again, you are dealing with people that are psychotic. They're usually high as a kite on drugs like this guy here. This this guy was 
he was he was psychotic and he probably was I'd like to see the toxicology report on this guy because they deployed what two tasers on him and he just kept coming like it was nothing but yeah. uh, it seems like these tasers are pretty ineffective on people that are in these types of situations well you know someone pointed out to me and look I, I agree with you but we they're not going to put a, the videos that we see where they don't work there's a lot of I, I think that by and large there's a there's a ton of videos out there where they actually work and they're effective. The videos that we see posted, a lot of the people just show the ineffective because because you know when it doesn't work, you has you, you go end up going lethal and you kill the bad guy, and that is a sensational video that they're using in the in, in social media. So I th I think that there's a lot more uh, times that the taser works that we just don't get the cover because you know it works and there's it, you know the bad guy gets handcuffed and you know it's no thrills you know for a uh, you know for for a talk show. So yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. So unfortunately, that's a lot of the ones we cover. But uh, but I'm so I'm, I'm kind of glad they don't work 100 percent of the time because we have a lot. We get to cover a lot of videos when it escalates. But uh, I, people, I'll get crucified for saying that. But I'm joking, of course. But yeah. Deputy Frank, um, we we like like in the SWAT world, we don't we don't use tasers. We don't carry them. We use direct impact rounds or exact impact rounds, 40 millimeter, uh, 37 millimeter uh, beanbag shotgun rounds. It gives us an extended range. Um, and a, a very different effect um, when we deploy them. So that's we we don't use tasers. And again, for that for that same reason that that Sarge mentioned is you're probably 50-50, which is about what it is in my career on times when I've I've used it and it's been effective. And like Sarge said, I got I got shot with it too when I first uh, when I was first issued it. And let me tell you, I went to the ground like a sack of hair. Oh come um, on, Frank! Drop drop <laughs> me like a bad habit. Um, but uh, again, I, I've seen it where a probe misses or they're wearing heavy clothing or there's a whole bunch of other issues that get involved in there and, and that's it. And then it doesn't work. And then you're, you're stuck there with a, you know, with a paperweight. So it's, yeah. but in this situation, you know, exactly as it should be, there was lethal coverage and less lethal, less lethal didn't work. Like you said, if less lethal doesn't work and the guy now knows, Hey, they deployed less lethal on me, I should probably stop. And when that doesn't happen, then the very next portion of that sequence of events happens, and then you leave in a bag. Yeah, yeah, I get it. All right, well, thanks. Thanks for the breakdown. Appreciate it, guys, and good uh, good points, gentlemen. So moving along here, let's see our next one, and I believe that we've got an update coming up here. So we are on policetribune.com, and we're in Seattle, so one of our favorite places, not Seattle, Washington. A federal judge issued a ruling on Tuesday blocking Seattle, Seattle police from enforcing property damage laws for any vandalism that results in less than $750 in damages. So think about that for a second. If someone damages your property and it's less than $750, you know, almost $1,000, you know, they, they're not going to be able to charge them for it. So the U.S. District Judge, it's Marsha Petchman, uh, she issued an injunction on June the 13th claiming the city of Seattle's property damage ordinance poses a real threat of censorship as it pertains to graffiti. And this is on KIRO. So listen to the justification. So under Seattle Municipal Code, an individual who damages someone else's property or writes, paints, or draws any inscription, a figure, or mark of any type in any public or private building or any other structure that does not belong to them and without permission is guilty of property destruction. Okay? So that, on its face, makes pretty much sense, I think, right? So Judge Penchman deemed that the language of the ordinance is overly vague and, and uh, overboard and could potentially violate people's rights under the First and Fourteenth Amendments. Now, the criminalization of free speech, and this is a quote, 
The criminalization of free speech significantly harms the public interest in far greater measure than the public might benefit from criminalizing the property damage. So she's saying that the crim- criminalizing the act of vandalism does more damage than the vandalism itself is essentially what she's saying. This is in the Seattle Times. The offense is listed as what they call a gross misdemeanor and involves damages under 750, according to the KTH. And um, for the time being, Seattle police will only be able to enforce property damage for secondary felony malicious mischief, which is above $750 in damage. Wow. Go ahead, guys. Jump in. Wow. I read this. I I couldn't believe it. Um, So basically, they're saying that you're violating someone's free speech rights because they want to go out and spray paint graffiti on walls. As long as it's under 750 bucks, it doesn't matter. So I wonder what would happen if they went to this judge's house a couple of times, sprayed her walls, and she was okay with that. Um, I mean, how many times do you have to be a business to have your walls repainted uh, because these idiots are out there vandalizing everything? But, I mean, we're talking about Seattle. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where these people come from. These judges get elected. It's just no common sense whatsoever. Uh, Vandalism's vandalism. it costs money to repair your property. It dis- it makes the place look like crap. <laughs> and uh, But this judge is out in left field, and uh, maybe she needs to get spray painted a little bit or something. So, so Deputy, Deputy Frank, let me ask you, based off of what Sergeant Joe said, so in Pinal County, if somebody does vandalism there, but let's say that it says, you know, save the planet, you know, save the trees, um, get rid of carbon uh, monoxide, you know, poisoning, uh, would that... That would be legit, right? They could get away with that because it, it, it's for a free speech purpose, right? No, no, it doesn't work here in, in America, um, which is where we are, unlike Seattle. Uh, and, and and I'm sure Sarge thought the same thing. Um, there was no surprise when I said, oh, out of Seattle. That's crazy. There's some crazy left-wing loon judge up there saying that these people spray painting, which is their choice, on someone else's property, um, and that's okay because they have they have the right. You don't have the right to destroy someone else's property if it's five dollars. If I take your pencil that you're writing with and break it in half, and I've destroyed that, I don't have that right. Um, so I just the the Northwest is just a crazy place. It's like you should need a passport to go there. Um, because it's just, it's so far from the, the ideals that we embody, especially here in Pinal County, especially under my sheriff. Um, this, this wouldn't be tolerated in the smallest, slightest bit. And it doesn't matter what you write. You don't have the right to destroy someone else's property. It's less about the message and more about the fact that someone has worked hard to purchase that, to beautify it, to keep it nice and respectable and, and represent their, their town, their family, whatever it may be. And you have some someone who, you know, just has nothing better to do than go in and graffiti. And the, that's not their right. So, well, I, yeah, in, in Pinal County, this doesn't fly. Well, Deputy Frank, I, I don't want a response from you on this, but I would just say that we covered the whole debacle with uh, Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving and your sheriff, Sheriff Lamb. I, so I, I recommend to them they should move their headquarters to Seattle because I think they would fit right in in Seattle, Washington. That'd be a perfect spot for them. Yes. Yeah, like a round peg in a round hole. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, uh, we are out of time. I can't believe the time has just like flown by. But uh, look, if you guys want to get more, if you guys want a piece of Frank 
you know, let me tell you, look up, you know, Fridays with Frank uh, Pinal County uh, has uh, you know, given, uh, you know, they've endorsed this video series. They were doing, they're very, very smart in dealing with the public and police community relations with this video. So um, Fridays with Frank. And what day of the week does that come out on, uh, on Frank? Comes out on Fridays, Friday, Friday wow. morning. Imagine it's on, that. Uh, it's on the, the Pinal County Sheriff's Office Facebook page, the Pinal County Sheriff's Office YouTube channel, and Pinal County Sheriff's Office Instagram is uh, where those videos uh, that we make, we make them and, and uh, we edit them and we put them out for the public. All right, perfect. Thanks, Frank. And hey, if you guys want more information about Joe, do a DNA genealogy check. You're probably related to him some way, shape, or form. A shout out to our sponsors, Motion DSP, GallsGunLearn.com, on Medicare.Live, and Bank Energy. Thanks for the fuel. And Ray Dietrich, Red Voice Media. Thanks. Hope everybody has a wonderful and safe week.